Welcome to the DermVet Podcast. I'm Dr. Ashley Bourgeois, a board-certified veterinary dermatologist practicing in Portland, Oregon with animal dermatology clinics. I'm also a mom of two, just trying to find the balance like everyone else. Let's learn to ditch the itch, cytology, everything, and make derm more fun than frustrating. As dermatologists, we tend to see the more chronic, severe cases of allergic or atopic dermatitis in dogs. But in general practice, I know it's more common for you guys to see early signs of allergic paritis, or you see younger dogs who are just starting with their first signs of paritis. When do we decide to jump into a diagnostic workup or refer to a dermatologist? What treatment options are there? Today, I get to welcome to the podcast, I should say welcome back, Dr. Dana Liska. She is a board-certified veterinary dermatologist and a senior veterinary dermatologist for Zoetis. We really discuss the options in these early allergic dogs when the signs are more mild, you know, how often do we have to see them be affected before we consider something like allergy testing or referral. I really hope you guys enjoy this wonderful discussion about the management of early allergic signs in dogs. Well, I am so excited to have another episode of the DermVet podcast, and I am welcoming back um, a dermatologist that I just adore, an amazing mom, an amazing woman, and that is Dr. Dana Liska. So Dr. Liska, thank you so much for, it couldn't have been so too bad the first time because you are back. <laughs> oh, I love working with you, Ashley. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, you're so sweet. And I actually, I love the topic we're talking about today because you know, we are dermatologists and we often get really involved with our cases and we get, you know, um, diagnostics and workups and allergy testing and we get so excited. But the reality is for some of these first time itchy pets, mild allergic pets, like something that the general practitioner might be seeing a bit more commonly than what we would see, you know, we may take a little bit of a different approach or ease into how we're managing these you know, early allergic dogs or mild allergic dogs. So that's going to be kind of what our discussion really focuses on today. So we tend to see the more severe chronic cases of allergic dermatitis and infection, but our colleagues who are general practitioners, you know, they're seeing them much, much earlier and maybe younger dogs. So, you know, let's kind of start with what are some of the early signs of allergies we could look for in patients, even say they're coming in for their wellness exams and the general practitioner is just starting to pick up on some clinical signs. Absolutely. So I'm sure that your the people who are listening have absolutely heard this before. An owner who goes, oh, she just licks her paws. That's just what she does. Like they think it's somehow more of a personality trait and not really recognizing that can be an early allergic symptom. Um, I also think of just that subtle, like, like that thinning and the bronzing of the hair that goes along with the salivary staining from their pet licking their paws or front legs or their flank, whatever that might be. But let's see, what else do I think of? I think of just the mild redness that might be in the ears or around the muzzle, around the eyes. And then some of the behaviors that owners might see is they just rub their face on a couch or the carpet and the early scratching, the chewing. Um, and then I think of those dogs that like to roll on their back and they, they kind of like to like, kind of like 
like roll on their back and kind of wiggle around, but then they don't have any lesions on their, on their skin. Um, and I think those are the things that owners might be seeing at home. But then when that dog comes into the exam room, and if that dog isn't, you know, showing those signs of pritis in that moment, then two and two aren't going together. And like you said, if you're super busy, if the, you know, if you're, if you're, if our listeners are super busy and they're really focused on the fact that the dog's in for a well pet vaccination visit, then might be missing that chance to talk about those early signs of allergy. And especially in the breeds that we know are predisposed. So I guess that's why I'm a huge advocate for Pridoscores in all dogs, not just itchy dogs. Yeah, well, and it's important. So you mentioned the paritis score, and there is a standardized, you know, paritis, uh, paritis visual analog score. And you can find um, lots of things available on websites. I've put it up before. It's a very standardized score where you can actually have owners look at descriptions. Because when we just ask, well, out of one, you know, between one and 10, how itchy do you think your dog is? That's really hard for owners to really think about. And um, there can be differences of opinions. I have had mm-hmm. owners. Yep. I've had owners in the exam room where they're like <laughs> arguing, no, it's a five. No, it's an eight. Um, so it is really important. And if we have to utilize certain things like therapies to control that paritis, you know, if they're still somewhat pruritic at recheck, but it went from a nine to a three, like that's very good, you know, versus if we were like a four went to a three and maybe the owner feels like we could have better control of the paritis. So I think using that standardized scale can be super important. Like you mentioned, even on those wellness exams, while they're waiting for the doctor to come in, just have that as part of their evaluation for their wellness exam. Cause you're absolutely right. There is a lot of early signs that owners don't pick up on. They think that pedal paritis is, Oh, they're groomers, you know, especially in dogs. We don't see that as commonly. Um, Oh, that's just what dogs do. All dogs are a little itchy. So it is important for us to know if it's a one. Okay. Like maybe we're not, probably not that worked up about that. But if it's a five, like that may bring a little bit of a, hey, we should be thinking of other things that we really need to discuss. Oh, yeah. I think you caught my mm mm-hmm in the middle of what you were (laughs) saying because I so agree with you. And then, you know, recognizing that these dogs will be in from time to time and that you may have to be having these kind of repeat conversations with those clients at various visits and just really kind of over time the messaging to get them to absorb the information and really understand it because we all know, right? Repetition is a good thing um, from the doctors, from the technicians, especially if everybody has a unified message. Yeah. And educating what itch looks like. So you have to be really cautious. And you mentioned some really great clinical signs earlier, but if you just ask a client, oh, is your dog itchy? You know, they'll just think, oh, scratching. Like that's what most people think of, which makes sense by that term. But if you say, do they head shake, rub, you know, do they do the back rolling? Like you mentioned, do they scoot? Do they chew? These are all signs of itch. So, you know, I know we're all really busy in the clinic and that we're not always going to be able to jump into like a huge workup when we're seeing these pets for the first time, but having things like handouts, you know, especially Mm -hmm. if they have a breed that's predisposed and we know that there's a high likelihood of things like atopic dermatitis, what does abnormal itch look like? What does inflammation look like? You know, put it in things like the, um, the early visits when they first come to see you so that we can prevent frustration of just planting that seed. Like, okay, we're noticing a little increased paritis. We're noticing a little inflammation. 
let's deal with that. And that here's the things I want you to watch out for. So if we start to kind of realize that general practitioners start notice these signs, you know, or we see that the pride score is going up and they have a young dog, especially in some of those predisposed breeds, like what do we do at that initial sign of an abnormality? It's such a good question. And I think you absolutely just touched on it. And that is the education part, educating the owner about the possibility of allergies in those predisposed breeds. What does it look like? What does it look like when it's happening in the skin or in the ears? And just maybe a little bit of a, uh, like a, uh, like telling kind of a forcing into the future of what would a workup look like? And yeah, again, you're, we're just planting the seeds trying to get them familiar with the concept of what can turn out to be a chronic disease, like allergic dermatitis in their dog. Yeah. So I, Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Oh no, please. What questions do you have? Well, we're, since we're talking about early mild allergy, I'd love to ask you what, what are like, what are some certain symptomatic therapies that you might advocate for in those early mild allergic patients? Oh, it's such a good question because, you know, as a dermatologist, I don't get those very often. (laughs) I would love to get those. I usually get the ones that have been, you know, having symptoms for quite a while. But when I do teach or when I think about, gosh, what are early interventions that could be started? Because there's a lot of really good things out there. You know, it's hard to get around to have a dermatologist not love topical therapy, right? Like we love topical therapy. We're so fortunate that we deal with with, um, the skin, like it's external, right? The ears and skin, we can touch them. We can put stuff on the organ that we deal with. Um, so I love topical therapy, you know, implementing things that have epidermal barrier restorative properties to it. So for me, I think of things like the Duxo S3 Calm, like shampoo, they have a mousse, like things that we're just putting on the skin where maybe we have a little bit of inflammation or a little bit of paritis. Um, I think that there is a opportunity in some of these atopic dogs to also repair their barrier through nutrition. So not so much like moving away from the idea of like a a diet trial, because that would be different, but thinking of say an atopic dog, there are diets that really work to also help the skin barrier. So the Hills Dream Complete, you know, the Royal Canaan Skin Support, things that are meant to really restore that skin barrier, because we do know there's lots of factors that affect these dogs that have atopic dermatitis. Going back to topicals, um, I'll use things like the Dermascent products. So using something like Dermascent, that's um, a lot of owners really enjoy putting on their dog weekly just to help restore that skin barrier. I think those are the things that for me, early signs, things that we can maybe utilize to really be focusing on that epidermal barrier can be extremely helpful. Um, and all of it really truly comes down to that education, right? Like early education. So, Hey, we're going to start some things to really help restore the skin barrier. It allows owners to have options and we can also start planting the seed as we've talked about, but empathize with owners, right? Like, oh, I know it's frustrating to think about your dog having a chronic disease. These are the things that we're going to start to really see if we can, um, you know, get ahead of it. Uh, but a lot of owners, when they're going to get a pet, you know, they adopt a dog that's too, like they don't expect to already be dealing with something like a chronic disease. So we want to empathize with them and we want to ease them into that. Like, okay, we're seeing these early signs. Here's what I want you to watch out for. Here's like some of the things we're going to try. 
Um, and, but let's walk this journey together because things could get more involved in the future. And I just feel like being able to do that transition with them instead of just letting it, you know, maybe get more severe without them really understanding what's going on can be really helpful in communication. Oh, I so agree with you. That empathic connection to the owner and that just let's walk shoulder to shoulder through this process together. And, and I I do, I think it's such an important part of what we do as dermatologists. Yeah. Well, and one thing I do want to talk about, speaking of like early disease, you know, like more myelpritis or an owner coming in, it's, you know, historically, uh, veterinarians have really turned to things like antihistamines. And I know you and I have talked on the podcast about this before at that early stage, just thinking that it's affordable, um, you know, low risk associated with it. But I feel like we've definitely realized more and more as more research comes out about what's really causing paritis in these atopic dogs is that they're not really as effective in allergic and atopic dermatitis in dogs compared to maybe what we once hoped. So can you kind of walk me through that a little bit? It's such a good question and something that I love to talk about. We have learned so much more about allergic dermatitis in dogs over the last, what, eight to 10 years. And now we know that cytokines are the main mediator of allergic paritis rather than the rather than the histamine, I should say. Allergic dermatitis is just different in dogs compared to people who have upper respiratory allergies. So we know that antihistamines are not going to be very beneficial in most dogs with allergic dermatitis, even in the early cases. The published studies really support this. And the most recent one that I can think of was just a few years back and was published in 2016 in the Journal of Vet Science by Shao et al. And it was a placebo versus cetirizine study. And of course, cetirizine is the active ingredient in Zyrtec. And in that study, 30% of the dogs in the placebo group improved and only 15% of the dogs in the Zyrtec groups improved. So really pretty much you've got a placebo effect there. And then what I like to really focus on is the important fact that in that study, 85% of dogs in the cetirizine or the Zyrtec group stayed the same or got worse over a two week time period. And so if they don't work, that's really not a cost-effective option, right? And I have this great analogy that I like to use when I'm, I'm out talking to practitioners. So imagine this, you have been dealing with a low grade, but chronic headache, and you've recognized it, that it's really affecting your quality of life. And so you've done all the things you're like, okay, drink too much coffee during the day. I've got to switch to water. Um, you know, probably grabbing too many fast food meals. I better like just eat better. I'm going to get more greens. I'm going to get more fruit. You recognize that you're absolutely just working so hard in practice. And you're like, I've got to find a way to disconnect, get home, get better sleep. You've tried your NSAIDs. You've done all these things. You finally find time to get out of your, out of practice, get in to see your doctor. And you're sharing your concerns about this chronic headache that you've been dealing with. And your doctor says to you, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to start you on a therapy that works for 15% of my patients. Not There's awesome. a big, right. There's a pause there because then like, what kind of an emotional roller coaster is that going to set you on to? And that's to me, the same story of the same clients who are dealing with these same things with their dog skin, they show up to their veterinarian to then be recommended something that works 15% of the time. 
Yeah, that's a great analogy. I might be taking that. I love that. You can use it. <laughs> Thank you very much. You heard it here. It's, this is recorded on the podcast. Yeah, I love that um, analogy. I really do because I think it, it hits something emotional into us, right? Like chronic, annoying, affecting your life thing, and then reaching for something that's not really showing the efficacy that we need. I also think we have to realize by delaying that relief that we can provide in itchy dogs, the client loses trust in us as a veterinarian and they start looking for other alternatives. You know, we are the ones they're looking to, to help improve the quality of life for the pet and for them as the owner. The other thing I get really concerned about by delaying relief from paritis is all the secondary things that I feel like are one of the hardest things I deal with in dermatology. And that's the infections, right? We delay them from getting itch relief. They're more likely to get a pyoderma. They delay them from itch relief. They're more likely to get otitis. So infections are such a struggle for us as dermatologists and for the general practitioner too. So for, to me, anything we can do to manage that disease better. So we minimize the frequency and the severity of infections, you know, that is also going to be more cost beneficial to the owner, right. To not risk getting those things like infections because their allergies aren't managed. So when we talk about cost efficacy, efficacy, as far as, uh, relieving, uh, paritis, we want to be using things that are more efficacious. Oh, I so agree. I want the folks who are listening to have that like early on to have that vision for the future. And what is the journey that you want to see your client and your patient on? What does that look like? And so just to share is that uh, did some research to investigate this. And ultimately the objective was to explore the itchy dog journey from first symptoms, so the, these patients that we're talking about, the early symptoms, to current day for both the dog and the owner. And it's interesting because the owner started in this space where the words to describe their feelings were frustrated, worried, overwhelmed. And I really want to empower your listeners to make recommendations for therapies that can elevate your clients out of that disappointed, hopeless, sad to optimistic, grateful, and confident. And from the research that Zoetis did, we learned that the factors such as efficacy and safety are among the top research and desired treatment attributes by owners, regardless of whether it is an over-the-counter treatment or it is a prescription treatment. So they're looking for efficacy and safety. And of course, what we know is both Apoquel and Cytopoint are commended for these two aspects. And so what that ultimately does is it drives really high satisfaction from uh, those owners who use those therapies for their dogs. Yeah, I, that's great. I love that study. And as a person who has a dog with atopic dermatitis, I relate, <laughs> you, you know, to those emotions. It is even, this is what I do for a living and it's still hard, you know, when you do see them suffer from paritis and being uncomfortable. Um, you know, one thing I think about, cause you kind of mentioned Apoquil, Cytopoint, we're going to talk about those. If a dog comes in and say they're seeing the general practitioner for the with first time allergic paritis, do we need to jump into a whole workup like diet trial, you know, depending on their history, maybe it's been very seasonal, like maybe this is a seasonal thing that's suspected. Um, like, are we going to do allergy testing for them or are we going to reach for symptomatic therapy with Apoquil or Oclocidinum tablet or Cytopoint uh, enough as far as like, that's enough for management of our disease. And we are not going to investigate any further. 
Yeah, love this question. So my short answer is somewhere in between, I think. And then my long answer is, you know, thinking about a, a modified approach uh, would work really well. And especially because I know that veterinarians are so, so incredibly busy right now. And so thinking about how we can streamline that diagnostic process. So if it's the first time a dog is coming into the practice, or it's that patient that's just being seen one or two times a year with that allergic pritus flare, then I think of like three steps. I think control the pritus number one. Uh, step number two is rule out parasites, and that's going to be skin scrapes or maybe proactive treatment with an isoxazoline. And then step three in this kind of shortened modified approach would be do the cytology and treat any skin infections that you find. And, and again, I think that you can, re, you can kind of do these quick three steps symptomatically as needed, just one or two times a year. Um, and what I implore veterinarians to do is review the patient medical history, look for seasonality trends to help them recognize those patterns um, regarding what's the timing of the visits into the practice. You know, if the patient's presenting every spring for an ear infection, and then it has a flare in the fall, that's a first clue that the allergies are probably starting to get worse. Yeah, definitely agree. History is so, so important. And we also have to realize that every single client and patient, they're really unique. The threshold that owners can really either handle financially, but not just that emotionally, like depending on what else is going on in their life. Do they have another pet who has an illness? Like everyone's very different, even for clients who come to see us, you know, sometimes the threshold's very different as far as what we can truly do. I love allergy testing. I love starting immunotherapy, but often we have to start with making that pet comfortable, easy on or into that option. Make sure that is something they want to pursue. They know the expectations with that because not every case that I even see as a dermatologist allergy test, like sometimes it is just not the right decision for them for various reasons. So we have to make sure we're looking at every case as an individual, which, you know, personally is why I think dermatology is very fun, but I, I also understand that that can make it quite frustrating when it's not super cookie cutter and it really kind of depends. So let's say we prescribe a dog with 30 days worth of Apoquil, or we gave a cytopoint injection to the first time case with allergic dermatitis and the dog did great while treated. And then the allergic pruritus comes back after the treatment's discontinued or the owner's calling for a refill or to schedule another cytopoint. How often should we consider restarting these medications? Well, I think it's, I think it's fine to restart Apoquil or repeat the cytopoint injection once or twice more, but past that, we need to consider assessing that patient during a re-examination, just get them back in for an appointment, you know, just, you know, before we're giving any more refills, before we're giving any more repeat injections, just again, make sure they're not, they're not, you know, like actively having um, some, you know, flea exposure, or there's not active infection. And then just, you know, just again, trying to look back and see, is this going to be like just kind of a mild seasonal thing that's kind of recurring and it's going to be okay to treat symptomatically, you know, maybe two or three months of the year in one season, or is this the beginning of some sort of a chronic non-seasonal progressive condition that's going to need a full workup. And certainly I'm going to advocate for referral to DERMS, the board certified dermatologist, um, it's always appropriate here once things start to become more chronic. Um, ultimately, I think good owner communication about the nature of the allergic dermatitis is so, so important in the early phases like we've talked about. And it really does set the stage for how that owner is going to manage that dog, you know, 
likely for the rest of its life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's really great if we can manage periodic flares. Like if, if we have a pet who truly just needs therapy, like you said, one, two, three months a year, a season a year, like that's not unreasonable. But when every time a therapy wears off, we're getting a call that symptoms are returning or, you know, we need more of those medications that still may be appropriate, but we just want to make sure that we can consistently keep these pets comfortable, you know, restarting the anti-itch therapy, scheduling a follow-up. So we can discuss further steps, you know, what, whatever that looks like for that particular patient, but making sure the owner kind of understands like you said, lifelong management. What does that mean? What does that look like? So we are all on the same team for that dog. Now, what if this young adult, say golden retriever, um, is more like the second scenario where it's now coming back with flares more often that you kind of mentioned, when is it time for us to really consider that full workup? And you've mentioned some of the diagnostic tests that can be done, um, but maybe just a little bit more in depth to what tests that could include. Yeah. So yeah, my parents lived in Kansas city and they had an awesome dog. His name was Yogi. And oh, every August, that's an awesome name for a dog. He was a great dog. Just a great dog. Um, just, just, just full of life and love, but yeah, he, every August, every August was miserable, miserable for him. And so they would symptomatically treat him during that time. And he never progressed, but you know, if you have the patient like Yogi that starts coming back now, you know, it's three times a year, maybe it's August and then it's, November, and then it's May, then, you know, you're seeing these allergic flares happen more often, maybe it's skin, maybe it's ears, then that's when we need to kind of dive into that complete diagnostic workup. And so again, that starts with managing the paritis, like I mentioned before, making sure the patient's on a quality flea and tick product. And can I say this? I'm just going to say, I think we can agree that the isoxazoline class of flea and tick products are pretty much revolutionary. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. The third step, yeah. Okay, good. Cytology also, again, to identify and treat those secondary infections, namely staph and yeast, because if we don't address those, then, um, then, you know, it might make it look like nothing's working. But then when we get into that more chronic situation, we have to ask, okay, so is, could this be food allergic? And that's when we're going to recommend if the patient is non-seasonally affected, if they're having non-seasonal allergy symptoms, then we have to think about food. But then finally, if it is a seasonal issue, then recommending that allergy testing uh, referral to a dermatologist in order to find that long-term, that sustainable anchor treatment as part of that long-term, as you said, individualized maintenance plan for that dog. And um, of course we advocate for interdermal allergy testing and allergen specific immunotherapy. Um, if again, that patient has, uh, actually I should say at my practice, we advocated for allergy testing and immunotherapy if the patient had allergic symptoms in two seasons or more. I think that's a really good rule of thumb. Like if you're getting beyond just the spring's a tough time. Like if you really are starting to get to two seasons, it's more than just one season that they're having these symptoms. And, you know, one thing why I think that's a really good rule of thumb is that progression. So, you know, we don't necessarily want to wait until that atopic patient is completely hundred percent of the year, which I mean, certainly can happen. And mm-hmm. where I'm in the Pacific Northwest, we see lots of non-seasonal atopic dermatitis, or they started out seasonal, very classic history. And all of a sudden within a couple of years, 
we're all the time. We're all, we're year round, you know, diatriles are not improving our symptoms. So I really think having that rule of thumb of, you know, we're beyond just one season, two seasons or more is really, really good because we want owners to know the options. We want to have those expectations set as we've talked about. Now, what about dogs that are on an anchor therapy like Apoquil or Cytopoint for their allergic uh, dermatitis and they have an allergy flare? And for me, like a flare means it's the uh, acute worsening of disease. So even if they had, you know, two out of 10 itch and we've been pretty happy with that and all of a sudden uh, we have a pollen surge and now they're a six out of 10 on that standardized itch score we talked about, what do we do in those situations? Yeah, I think you and I both recognize, and I'm certain that the vast majority of the of the folks who are listening will recognize that those periodic flares and the pruritus and the skin inflammation, that they're normal. They're expected for dogs who have allergic or atopic dermatitis. Um, have you heard, have you heard the uh, 80-80 rule? I have recently heard of the 80-80 rule. Yes. So I love this. Um, so basically it is that like, it's not my rule. Um, I, I think, should, should we give credit? Do I, is that okay? Like I, we can give yeah. a shout out to Dr. Allie Diesel. Absolutely. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's who I learned it from. Um, and if, if not, if there's a derm out there that's listening, who's like, no, the 880 rule <laughs> is mine. You guys, you've got to let us know. But anyways, it just says that I, as a doctor, I'm going to strive to manage 80% of your dog's itch 80% of the time. And I think it's fair. And I know I know that clients want hundred percent control hundred percent of the time, but it's just not really feasible with, with the, the nature of the diseases that we deal with. Yeah. I, I love that rule. Um, what I always tell owners is progression, not perfection, but I like 80, 80, cause I think people need clear cut expectations and it, for me, when I mentioned that it's okay, like their itch is still a two to three out of 10 on the, you know, predict visual analog score or scale. And we're okay with that because that's a reasonable level of itch. So to your point, like 80% control, but when we start to, um, increase, but say, instead of being at a seven out of 10, 10 months of the year, like we have just one month of the year that occasionally we have a flare. Like to me, that's progress, not perfection. So I think that's a great rule just to say 80% of the time, that's pretty good, right? We're going to have you 80% controlled. Yeah. We might have a little bit of pollocking. We may have, um, you know, some topical we have to include, but overall you're 80% controlled. And so we're feeling really good about that. And I think Okay, yeah, go ahead. No, no. So please finish. I'm sorry. Yeah. I just think it's good for us. And I, like I said, I say this as an owner of an allergic dog, it's good to have those expectations. Um, because for me, if owners expect that occasionally we're going to have a flare, um, and this is what it could look like, you know, that 20% that comes around that we expect, they're going to let me know very quickly when they see those signs coming. And that when you go back to communication and teamwork, is what's extremely important. If I see those dogs as soon as that's happening versus, oh, they've been flaring for a month and I've just been frustrated and didn't bring them in, harder for me to get them under control. So appreciate that. And what I love about this, just that we've shared is that it, again, it comes down to communication. And if you're listening and you identify with the 80, 80 rule, or you're listening and you really identify, which I love actually the progression, not perfection. I mean, it's just two ways of saying the same thing. Um, and, and I love that. Oh, good. Good. That one I'll take credit for that one. I did okay, come up with. Yay. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it is, it's super important. 
Um, and I, I just want to briefly mention this too, if people listening, I'm a dermatologist. I'll put my hand up as like scouts honor. My patients flare all the time. Like it is just the nature of the, it doesn't mean you're not doing a good job. It is just important to realize this is the nature of dealing with chronic allergies. My cases flare, my dog flares with her allergies too. But when those flare happen, what's important is to go back to the basics, right? So you mentioned cytology. Every dermatologist is passionate about that. Just check for the infection, address the infection before we give up on therapies. Why did it happen? Simple things. I forgot, I forgot flea prevention because life is crazy and we were traveling and that's an easy thing to forget. Um, I once had a dog that has like flea and uh, uh, flea allergic dermatitis, atopic dermatitis and food allergy. He gets all three. Um, and he had this bad flare and we were kind of trying to figure out what it was. And I was like, well, is there any food he could have gotten into? And I was like, I totally forgot. He went to work with my husband the day this happened. And my husband mentioned he stole someone's turkey sandwich. You know, he's a young lab. <laughs> so it's like, that totally makes sense. But just asking those simple questions, one, it kind of gives owners validation, right? Like, oh, that's why. Like, we always want to know the why. But two, then we can kind of strive to get through that flare, but know why it happened. So we can try to prevent it, prevent it in the future. So it's just really important for, I think, general practitioners to understand, like, our cases flare too. Like this is just kind of the nature of this. And, and we are dealing with the same struggles of that. Yeah. And to, can I add on to that, please? Yeah, please. They, um, and so, like you said, infection, flea, food, and then just asking yourself. So it's not, if it's not one of those, like what's happening with the pollen counts outside? Um, just last week, early last week, I was in a huge allergy flare and just like, just feeling it and was so thankful to get to I travel up to Cleveland and literally within 24 hours of being out of Texas, I felt so much better. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. We might have to move. (laughs) Maybe not that easy. Um, So kind of going back to the anchor therapy. So do you think, so we have a flare. Do, should owners or general practitioners be changing that anchor therapy if it had been working when that flare happens, if historically it has worked, like what's your advice on that? I feel very strongly that we need to tell owners to continue that anchor therapy because it was working and get that dog scheduled for a recheck, get them back in to talk about the flare factors that we just went through. And once you can tell, like once the, once you or I, or the practitioners who are listening can, can say, okay, those flare factors are ruled out. That's when you have to kind of decide, okay, what's going to be the individualized additional therapy based on the pet and the owners need and their lifestyle to get them back on track for just a short-term seasonal flare. Again, like you mentioned earlier, adding those topical sprays or mousses, maybe increasing the bath therapy. Oh, definitely. I, I, I never want to give up on a good anchor therapy over a flare. You know, I want them to come back in. I want to kind of figure out why it's going on, but I also like to empower my owners. So when we have those good rechecks where we say, okay, great, you know, we're going to spread things out, but we, we know your dog likes to flare in the spring. So let's send home this shampoo. Let's send home this topical therapy. And if you start to notice that happening, like increase the frequency right away and let's see if we can manage it. So I like to also proactively give my owners something that they can do. And I have lots of pets that we can just get through those flares with increased topical therapy. They know to watch out for it and they know if that's not helping, then they're going to make a recheck with me right away. So we can kind of identify what we need to, to get through that flare. But I think educating them 
them on early rechecks when the flare is just starting and giving them something they can do. Like you mentioned, we're all really busy. Sometimes it's hard to get a patient in that quickly, like the next day. So having topicals or other things that can be utilized in those situations, you know, they always flare in spring. They notice Arthur Apical, right? When that paritis starts happening, like these are the things that we want owners to be empowered to do when we kind of have been involved with them that we know it works for that pet. It's um, awesome when they start to see their own, they, they can yes. recognize their own dog's patterns. Yes. And that's that teamwork, right? That's what I always tell them is that's that teamwork. Like I have given you those tools, but you are implementing them at home. Um, well, this has been just a wonderful discussion. And, and I think honestly, hopefully very, very helpful for, um, you know, general practitioners and kind of thinking of these early allergic cases, like what are kind of some of our options? Is there any other information, um, that you would like our listeners to know about? Yeah. You know, I have two things that have kind of been in the back of my mind as we've been talking. And one is that in this, in this time together, we haven't really talked about steroids and, I read something in the Zoetis patient client journey research that I mentioned earlier, and it really resonated with me. It was a quote by an owner who of course participated in the study. And that owner was comparing steroids to a, shall I just say a popular fast food restaurant chain. And um, just to share with you, I don't want to get it wrong. So I'm just going to quote that person specifically on what they said. The person said it referring to steroids. So it reminded me of McDonald's. It was inexpensive. And I know at McDonald's, you can get an inexpensive meal. It's a staple. Steroids have been around for a long time. And unfortunately, if you were to eat McDonald's every day for long-term use, you would have some unwanted side effects that over time probably is not going to be good. Just thought that was really insightful. I, you know, I like analogies. So that was yeah. kind of my, that's kind of a, a good analogy for, you know, long-term. And this is from uh, a pet owner. Yeah. Interesting. I know. I know. I thought it was very insightful. And um, the other thing too, that I have been kind of mulling around in my head is uh, a publication from back in 2012. It was, it's, we call it the Kanji et al paper. And it was published in JAVMA. And after investigating that what they were doing is they were investigating client adherence to veterinarian recommendations. And what they found was the odds for adherence were seven times as great for clients who received a clear recommendation compared with clients who received an ambiguous recommendation from their veterinarian. And so what I want to do is I want to empower everyone listening to work on what I call their seven times more likely statements. And that includes an empathic connection, which we've talked about and just to, you know, make that connection, what to the owner, what the owner is going through, uh, make a clear and concise recommendation for what you as a practitioner know to be the best medicine for that patient. And then a statement of value as to why it'll be beneficial for the patient and client. That is amazing. And can I add on to, cause that is super important. Seven times more likely to adhere to what we say, if they understand why we're using it, but I want to add what I think can also help that situation is the training of your technicians, your assistants, your client service representatives to be advocates for the plan. And that's why I'm, it's really, really important for me. Like 
at our clinic, our staff kind of knows why we're using certain medications. They honestly communicate with the owners, especially when they call in more than we do. And they are the ones that give that additional confidence and clear, um, concise, you know, thought of why we're doing certain things. They understand it. And I feel like that is extremely important. If you have your staff well-trained with it too, they are going to enjoy you know, working at the practice more, but the clients also really appreciate when they can ask one of my technicians a question. And honestly, for the most part, my technicians can probably answer it because they understand it. And for me, I think that additionally backs that up. Like we're all on the same team. I totally have confidence in what this doctor is recommending and here's why. And so that on the discharge, they can really advocate for that as well. Oh my gosh. Ditto, ditto, ditto. <laughs> Yay. Um, any last thoughts? If we were kind of just going to do like a summary, a recap of like what we've kind of talked about today, like what are some of your kind of final takeaways? And then I'm happy to provide some of mine too, because I think this has been a great discussion. Awesome. Okay. So my favorites from today would be identifying the allergic symptoms early and start educating early. And so again, like this whole idea of clear and concise. So you can say to an owner, yeah, sure. You can try an antihistamine, but it probably won't work. Or you can say, we know from a recent study that 85% of dogs that received a, you know, particular antihistamine either stayed the same or got worse. I think that takes a very ambiguous statement and makes it very, very clear and concise. So that's my number one. Love that. Uh, My number two would be if a patient is visiting one or two times a year, then it makes sense to provide pruritus relief with Apoquel or Cytopoint, make sure the patient is actually receiving a high quality flea and tick product like an isoxazoline. Uh, Number three, do cytology to identify those secondary infections so you can treat them appropriately. Um, I'm thinking of your words and I want you to say them. You say them. Progression. Oh, cytology, cytology. everything. Cytology, everything, everything. (laughs) Absolutely. Progression, not perfection. I love it. And then I see the final thing would be If the allergies then progress to three or more times a year, then of course, you've got to repeat those first three steps again, but now you've got to dive into the workup. Is it food allergy if the symptoms are non-seasonal or is it clearly, uh, or is it, you know, is it, is it more of a seasonal atopic patient? And then you've got to clearly and concisely make that recommendation for allergy testing and immunotherapy, um, especially, and ideally I would say referral to a veterinary dermatologist for that. Um, but those are those, cause we, we both recognize that the allergy testing and immunotherapy is a very, very, very important part of, again, the long-term therapy. Yeah, definitely. And the things, the kind two things that come to mind, I would add on, cause I think you stole a lot of mine, which this <laughs> is what happens when you go second. Um, for me, the big takeaways I would have for, um, early signs of, you know, an allergic dog planting the seed. I I like to be a very realistic person that I understand we cannot jump into a 30 minute allergy spiel the first time a dog comes in with pruritus, but planting the seed just to set the expectation of let's treat this, let's get through this. 
um, particular flair, but then let's also like understand here's the things I want you watch for. Here's a handout that you can kind of evaluate or have at home and just planting the seed to set the expectation. And then my last one is kind of what we ended on talking about before. Make sure that you're including your team. I mean, educating your client service representatives, your assistants, your technicians is so important. So we do get that compliance from the owner because they do, they feel like there is a good, clear, concise message from the entire team rather than just the veterinarian that's seeing that case. Um, and with that, I just want to say thank you so much to you, Dr. Liska. I really love this conversation. I think it's going to be super helpful for a lot of the general practitioners and teams out there. And I just appreciate you giving some time to give some insight into kind of what we can do for some of these dogs that have early signs of paritis from allergies. Oh, thank you so much. I love spending this time with you. And it's just, it's so fun to get to talk about these, these, these issues that our clients and our patients are facing. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, that was just a great conversation. I have to thank Dr. Liska for giving her time to discuss some of the early signs we can see in allergic dogs. And we gave so many options as far as what we can do for treatment, but you really heard us mention communication, empathy for the owner, making sure we plant that seed. It is so important because oftentimes those early signs of allergic paritis we know can progress and we wanna make sure we are effectively treating them and just educating the owners on what to expect. So I really hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. I think it's going to, to have a lot of information that you can really implement in your clinic right away. This podcast was sponsored by Zoetis, the makers of treatments including Apoquil, Oclocitinib Tablet, and Cytopoint. Zoetis is dedicated to changing the way we approach canine paritis to protect the bonds between the pet, the owner, and the veterinary team. Some important safety information regarding Apoquil. Do not use Apoquil in dogs less than 12 months of age or those with serious infections. Apoquil may increase the chances of developing serious infections and may cause existing parasitic skin infestations or pre-existing cancers to get worse. Consider the risk and benefit of treatment in dogs with a history of recurrence of these conditions. New neoplastic conditions, benign and malignant, were observed in clinical studies in post-approval. Apical has not been tested in dogs receiving some medications, including some commonly used to treat skin and conditions, such as corticosteroids and cyclosporin. Do not use in breeding pregnant or lactating dogs. Most common side effects are vomiting and diarrhea. Apical has been used safely with many common medications, including parasiticides, antibiotics, and vaccines. For more information, please see the full prescribing information at apical.com. Indications for the use of Apoquil would be control of paritis associated with allergic dermatitis and control of atopic dermatitis in dogs at least 12 months of age. Cytopoint has been shown to be effective for the treatment of dogs against allergic dermatitis and atopic dermatitis.